Hi, my name is Dylan Benyon, and you're listening to another episode of the Cognition & Co. podcast, Psychology in South Africa. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the various types of burnout experienced by psychologists and psychology students due to the global pandemic. In order to give perspective to the topic, we're joined today by Rocky Bikram, a counseling psychologist in private practice. Rocky has over 10 years of experience in individual and couples therapy. As a mental health advocate, she is regularly featured in various forms of media, including print, radio, television, and social media. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dylan. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it's only a pleasure. We're so happy to have you here. Well, today, uh, Rocky, we, we're going to talk a little bit uh, on two topics, really. We're going to talk about burnout and self-care, and we're going to look at it from two different perspectives, and, and you're here to help me do that. Um, we're going to first look at it from a professional psychologist's point of view, and then we're also going to transfer that information over to the student side of things as well and, and discuss what they're going through. So, yeah, basically, I thought we could, we could start with the professional uh, side of things and, and take it from there. I just thought we could, we could maybe talk a little bit about your subjective experience so far, having dealt with this pandemic and this COVID-19 uh, um, chaos, and, and just see how things are going for you as a professional counseling psychologist. So it's interesting times for psychologists. Do you know, nothing in all of our years of training have ever uh, prepared us for dealing with a pandemic. So it's been an interesting time personally and professionally. And the boundary kind of gets blurred for the first time. As psychologists, we're often very boundaried and very aware of boundaries with us and our patients. Uh, but for the first time ever, psychologists now have had to help patients with things that they were going through themselves. So as you would know, do you know, uh, with psychologists, if we're going through something personal, we would not be helping someone or seeing patients with the same issue until we've actually worked through it. But for now, it's actually like we don't really have a choice and we're figuring it out as we go along. Mm. So it's been an amazing learning experience and very, very interesting times as well. Crazy, hey? I mean, like no one's no one's ever prepared the psychologist to deal with what's going on here at the moment, you know? So while you're like going through an existential pandemic crisis, you're also having to deal with it and then deal with the client's aspects too. I think one of the biggest shifts that's happened now is this this massive shift to to teletherapy and online you know media. How have you how have you found that? So it's a transition that I'm very, very thrilled to have made. In the past, when I've had requests from patients in different provinces, for example, for therapy, I've always turned them down because I had my own personal barrier to something, which I now realized was a blind spot because I hadn't even tried it and I'd written it off in the past. And so COVID has really helped me progress in that way where we were forced to do it. And I realized that it actually works brilliantly. We're always worried about not having that personal touch, but we didn't realize that patients are actually in their safe place when they're having the session now via teletherapy. So it's made therapy more accessible to more people. And interestingly, I've noticed that there is no disadvantage. So if I had to compare face-to-face therapy to teletherapy, I haven't really seen a disadvantage. There's certain situations where it might not work, where a client is high risk or suicidal, but otherwise it has worked amazingly. The one interesting thing I found is that patients are very focused in the session. So, you know, when they come into your room, you can get chatting about other things very easily. So patients are not really distracted. They're more focused. And I guess we also have to focus more because we need to pick up on body language, which is harder over a screen. 
But I notice that patients are focused, they know what they've come for, uh, and they take something away. And sessions tend to get very streamlined and intentional. So for me, it has been a huge positive experience and something that I'm going to continue doing for a long time to come, even when COVID is a thing of the past. That was going to be my next question. Like, how have the clients adapted to, to this whole thing? And it sounds like they're taking it on board. I know from my personal experience, I was also a little bit apprehensive to be a client in that environment because I was like, am I going to get what I would usually get from a face-to-face one? But it sounds to me like, you know, you guys have seemed to mitigate a lot of the issues with it and, and really streamline the process. So, uh, you know, we have two groups of patients. So those who are already very technologically advanced. So these are often the ones who are younger and also work in corporate environments where they're using technology anyway in their day-to-day work. So they've opened up really nicely. We do have patients who are technophobes and completely refuse to do it, which we completely understand as well. Because when I look at myself in the past, I realized that I was reluctant to trying it myself until I did. So I think those who try it, nobody has found it any worse. So I'll share something really personal with you. During this time, I saw my own psychologist for a teletherapy session for the first time. She has been doing teletherapy in the past, but for me, the drive to her had always been very therapeutic, so enjoyed that. So I was hesitant myself, but as a psychologist, it's always, always valuable to have the experience of being a patient in that setting. And I noticed that it was as valuable for me. So I, I can give you the perspective from a psychologist and being a patient, often other psychologists that both ways I found it worked perfectly well. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. Um, my my therapist as well offered the same thing to me last year because I was, I was leaving Johannesburg and I was moving back to, to PE. And she was like, you know, we can, we can do this. I was like, is it going to be the same? She's like, it's going to be fine. Like you still get to talk to me. You still get to like get all, everything off your chest. It's just, we're now like separated and you can actually do it in your slippers and your pajama pants. And I was like, that sounds quite nice actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It seems like there's been obviously a lot of changes and a lot of adaptation that's needed to happen, you know, with with everything that's happened with COVID. And I think obviously for the best, if, if psychology uh, and professionals in psychology sat back and just did nothing, we would, would be in turmoil as a country, I think, at the moment. But that's obviously put a lot of stress onto you guys, you know, as as psychology professionals to, to adapt and put yourselves out there. And like you said, um, you know, it is quite taxing watching somebody on Zoom and looking for the facial cues and the body language. And, you know, I think from what I've done on Zoom uh, in terms of my conferences and workshops and stuff, I find that I'm drained afterwards. Uh, I believe that if you're doing a good couple of sessions a day, like psychologists usually do, surely that must lead to an added buildup of stress and, and potentially burnout. Certainly. So actually Zoom fatigue or screen fatigue is a real phenomenon. And, you know, we're finding that we're feeling more drained. So in the past, I was able to travel to between two hospitals and my offices back and forth during the day. I managed to work longer hours, but I realized that now I get tired a lot more quickly, even though I've been in one place all day, which meant no traveling except to the office and back. And I realized that screen fatigue is really real because we're so much more focused. It's really draining the mental energy of having to focus uh, to look at the cues. So also sometimes a patient might not have the best internet connection. And when the screen freezes for a while, you don't know whether they've paused, whether there's a problem, or we panic that we're not going to be able to continue the session. So um, chatting to colleagues as well. Burnout is something that's really real. In the past, you know, burnout would come after many years of exhaustion, of chronic stress. But now we're finding that people are reaching a point of burnout. 
most health professionals and psychologists particularly, because we're also dealing with others who are going through what we're going through at the same time. So I realized that in a shorter span of time, psychologists are burning out, having had that conversation with them. And I guess one part of it comes from nobody else outside our psychology world really acknowledging what this time means for us and how difficult this has been. And because in our personal and professional lives, we're always taking care of others, we're checking up on others, and we're able to hold that space and be empathic. And to not have that space for yourself can very easily lead to burnout. I think as well, you know, there'll be a lot of psychologists at the moment working from home. And I think that distinction between all of a sudden working from home and having your work environment invade your home environment where you're usually relaxing, I think that is something that they need to get their their minds around as well to to really step back from time to time and have a long bath, you know, or, or do whatever you need to do to make sure that you are separating yourself from what's happening at work. And I think one of the paradoxical things that's going on is that if if you as a psychologist need to reach out to your psychologist, it's probably going to be over Zoom as well. And all yeah. of a sudden you you know you're back in the cycle. How would you how would you I think it's important that psychologists acknowledge and they should be really good at acknowledging the first signs of burnout, but what kind of processes or what what kind of signs would you say, you know, are the first things to show up when when somebody is starting to struggle a bit? So I think the emotional exhaustion is the first thing you would notice that. But again, there is also pandemic fatigue. So we we look at a few things with burnout. So exhaustion is the first thing. Uh, depersonalization. And this is never an easy part to go through as a psychologist, you know, where you find perhaps you're cynical or you have uh, make sarcastic remarks to others. Uh, and, and that's a sign when you're usually empathic and it's easy for you to hold space and where you find that you're getting irritable quite easily with your patients. So looking at that counter-transference uh, and also perhaps low self-esteem, feeling that perhaps you're not really good and efficient at your work when in the past you felt you were. So what it takes to recognize this is being mindful. And one thing that really has been my saving grace during this time has been practicing mindfulness on a daily basis. So having that time to check in with ourselves, where uh, you know it's that quiet space where we can be present, we can get in touch with our own feelings, understanding what is triggering those feelings for us, and then knowing and thinking about what we need to do. So, you know, our feelings are always telling us something. When you're feeling exhausted, what is the feeling saying to you? What is it saying to you that you need? Yeah. If you are feeling irritable, what is that feeling communicating that you need to do to get rid of this? So I think checking in with our colleagues is, is an important thing. You know, we're checking in with friends and family members. It's also important to kind of have a buddy system. Whenever I've done uh, webinars, for example, with different groups of different professionals, I've always always said, have a buddy system or it's just one person in your profession where you check up on each other because you understand their world a lot better than their partner, for example, or another family member who doesn't understand their professional world. So this has been a uh, you know, phenomenal for me. So one of my best psychologist friends lives in Australia and we've been able to share our common experiences during this time. And just knowing that someone else is feeling the same thing makes you feel relieved because you know, well, it's not just me, but we also share how we're working uh, 
working through things and we support each other through the process. So you really feel that you're not alone because psychologists generally in private practice are detached from others because you're working in your own space. You know, if you work in a bigger setting or hospital setting, you're running into your colleagues. But even if you were, because of COVID, we are distancing from others. So, you know, there isn't a corridor chat, even if you did see a colleague of yours. So during this time, we have to be a lot more mindful about connecting with those in a similar space to us, to share our experience, to listen to them and to feel listened to and supported as well. Yeah, amazing. Uh, I think we, we lose a lot of those like macro conversations that you do have just greeting somebody as they run past or, you know, checking in on how someone's doing. I think I love that idea of a buddy system between professionals. I think to know that somebody else is going through what you're going through, I think is cathartic in itself. And and even if it does, does mean just having a moan about, you know, oh, you know, the Zoom connection was terrible or load shedding, mm-hmm. as long as somebody else understands that, uh, yeah. I think that it really is cathartic. I really like what you say as well there in terms of like checking in on yourself and, and being mindful. I think that's important. I think one of the, the biggest things is that, you know, an empty cup is not going to fill another. So you need to make sure that you're on your game so that, you know, you can, you can provide for the clients that are out there. I think that's, that's very important. And I think that leads us to what sort of mindful activities can we be doing here, you know, and it, it leads us towards self-care. Yes. So, uh, do you know, when you, we speak, it's, it's one of the most famous or common sayings about self-care that you can't pour from an empty cup. So we need to be mindful about what fills our cup. What are those things that we need to be doing that fills that cup for us? So when, we, you know, it's different for different people. When we mention self-care, people just think about going to a spa and having a spa day, but self-care is so much more than just that. And different people like different things. For me, a spa day is very stressful, actually. So, you know, <laughs> so that would never fill my cup. It would make me even more stressed. Not this so guy. <laughs> I, I, I like to look at different aspects of self-care. So physical aspects, emotional, even spiritual aspects of self-care. So we must go back to the very, very basics. We're so good at speaking to patients about things that we often don't practice ourselves. Sleep is the number one thing. Do you know, sleep is really is a superpower. So when you have a good sleep routine and you get a good night's sleep, it makes a significant difference to the experience of your next day. Because think about the nights you didn't sleep well. We are probably a lot more irritable. It means we might skip breakfast because we're in a hurry because, you know, we, we got up late in the morning. So I think getting good quality sleep is really beneficial. Uh, looking at our nutrition. So during this time, I think we're all guilty. I'm very guilty. And we must not be hard on ourselves because I think we've all, uh, you know, comfort ate during this time. We're probably still comfort eating. We've gotten into bad habits of Netflix and and eating or snacking and something while watching Netflix. Um, or, or I've been what... I, I realize has been called procrastinating. So baking to cope with stress. However, because I've been so busy prior to this, it has actually been one of the most therapeutic things for me. Again, when you do it mindfully, and I think it's because it hasn't been imposed on me when I chose to do it, noticing all the sense, you know, because you can be so uh, invested in the process of enjoying it when you're in the moment noticing you know the you know what what you can see what you can hear what you can smell the taste of the food that you uh, that you're making you know sound of a beta whisk just being involved in that keeps you in the moment so you're not focused on covid all of the time that you're able to disconnect for a while and do something that you love doing and of course you enjoy the end product because you created something beautiful that either you're going to enjoy or someone else is going to enjoy you know if you shared it with others 
I love that. Broadcaster baking. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> it's it's like, you know, the, the way you describe it there, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talking about those grounding exercises where you, you know, you look at five things you can see and you, you, four things you can touch and great, excellent, excellent things. But I think using it, using like baking, for example, to basically do that for you, I think is such a nice grounding exercise. It's such a beautiful way to do it. And there's this beautiful, delicious product at the end of it. I think that's, that's amazing. I think back to when, when, lockdown first started. And I really like what you talk about there when you say, like, don't impose it on yourself. Because I started building puzzles in the beginning to pass the time. And the first two puzzles, like they were just left in the house and my stepfather and I, we started building them and, you know, it was quite nice. And then we got a third one and I was like, I'm going to do this one. I'm going to work at it. And I hated every second of it. Eventually I packed the whole thing up and I was like, I'm, I'm done. And I think that's something that's important as well. Don't, don't impose too much on yourself and don't force yourself to, to do something that's not actually going to be mindful in the end of it. It's going to just cause you more stress. <laughs> Absolutely. So if someone else asked me to bake, I would feel that imposing and I, w- I know that I won't enjoy the process. Do you know when I feel that this is the time and I would like to do it now. I enjoy it a lot better. So in the same way, you know, I think everyone needs to find what is their thing to do during that time. Is it just taking a mindful walk? You know, just nature's therapeutic and healing for mm-hmm. us. So just having a chat to a friend or is it really, I mean, I've never really watched TV before this. So, you know, do you need to, to watch two or three hours of, of something that is okay to do sometimes if it helps you to switch off and to relax, as long as you're making time to do something that's good for you. Movement, of course, movement is medicine on its own. So I think if we can get some movement and physical activity in the day, and if you don't love running, that's great, you know, skip, jump on a trampoline, listen to music and dance, some sort of movement is especially earlier in the day, makes a big difference. It gives you a new energy. If you're struggling with sleep, that helps as well. So, so when I spoke about eating earlier and I got into procrastinating baking, I think also trying to make healthier nutrition choices. So, so don't beat yourself up if you're, you're comfort eating because that mm. is acceptable. We are in survival mode. So I think we really do yes. need to be kinder to ourselves, but try to make some healthier choices because you feel better in the day. Uh, stick to some sort of routine. So when we spoke earlier on about many psychologists, so many other people are working from home and you're very right in saying that the boundaries are so blurred that when home was your safe space and your comfort zone, it means work stress is now in your home. Yeah. So, so the advice that I always give is keep one area in your home. So there needs to be one specific place that is your workspace and work from there only. So when you sit down to work, all you do in the space is work. Do not have your coffee or breakfast. When you're going to do that, get up, remove yourself. So your brain only associates that space with working. So I think that's really important, you know, so when you have to take a work call or do anything work related, it needs to be in that space. I'm also very mindful that people always don't have an office at home that they can work from. So none of us were prepared for this. So, you know, we, your office might be your dining table and that is okay if your office is your dining table, but when it's your office, it's your office. When it's time to have a meal, Remove your laptop and everything else from it and set it up into the dining table so your mind can visualize that it's meant to be a different space right now. We need to use our creativity and use our imagination. Um, So I think, you know, so like we spoke about physical self-care, emotional self-care then is also really important. So, you know, is it going to therapy? Talking to a friend, that's good for you. Journaling, um, doing some sort of mindfulness exercise. I love using Headspace as one of my favorite apps to use. Uh, Many of my patients also use Calm, which is great. So if you find that you can't practice mindfulness by yourself, using an app 
is also as good, especially if it's the first time that you're doing it. You have some sort of guidance in the process. Reading, if that's not something that you've had time to do. Writing, whatever is emotional self-care for you. Listening to music, music that puts you in a better mood. Writing music, playing an instrument, some sort of creative activity, whether it's art or uh, singing, painting, dancing. Uh, spiritual self-care, prayer, meditation, reading scriptures, sharing scriptures with others, uh, attending a prayer service online if you, you, know, you can't have your traditional prayer service. You know, I think um, COVID, the lockdown has removed us from many traditional ways of coping. You know, sometimes we coped that, you know, we'd go and meet friends for coffee or for a drink. And we aren't really doing that anymore. We'll go to gym. So gym isn't really available anymore. Or you might have had a yoga class, but there are different versions of that now. You might have gone to a prayer service, which isn't happening just because you know, it, it isn't safe to happen right now, even though it's allowed. I know many people aren't doing it. So it's about finding different versions of those. So you can still have it. So I say, you know, those who would go to church on a Sunday morning, I would say, you know, if there isn't an online service, sit down with your family, create something with others that you can make your own, but have that ritual in your life still. So it gives you some sense of normality in your life, some sense of structure, which makes us feel safer. Those are all such amazing examples. And I guess, looking back over the, the pandemic, I guess there's a lot of those things I've been doing, but not necessarily reflecting while I've been doing them. Like I, I was running in my complex while we were locked down, like in the hard lockdown. Um, and I was just running for the sake of running, but like, I wish that I'd maybe spent a little bit more time working through what, what like some of my issues basically during that time. Um, and I'll make sure when I go out today to run that I do that. <laughs> I usually spend most of my time thinking of podcast ideas. So <laughs> but some of our best ideas come when we're doing something else, which is great. hundred percent. So, but, but notice, so, so then ground yourself, do you know, notice what can you see? What can you hear? What are you feeling while you're having that run? I think, you know, I'm, uh, we, I wrote this in the notes beforehand, but like, I'm, I'm not the best at self-care. You know, I find that I'm not sleeping great. Uh, I haven't, haven't necessarily been eating well either. You know, my, my scale will attest to that, um, which is now why the running is happening. But you know, that that's the thing. Like, uh, I think a lot of people are maybe apprehensive to, to like jump into self-care like this thinking like, is it really going to work? But the ones that you've explained now, even procrastinating, you know, sound incredible and stuff that I think really can be helpful if applied in the right way. Yeah, and I think it's something that we need to think about on a daily basis. So often when we think about self-care, we think about it taking work to plan and we need a lot of time. Even if you give yourself five or 10 minutes in a day to do something, that makes a difference because it is your time. And, you know, for psychologists, I have to admit that it's really hard because we're kind of trained to put everyone else first. You know, we feel like we need to be there to hold space for others, but we need to see it as, you know, other people have instruments that they use in whatever their trade is. We don't have an instrument. We are the instrument. Mm. And so therefore, you know, if your car is your main thing, you would service your car regularly. So in the same way, we need to refuel. We need to take care of ourselves so we can be better for our patients, for our families, for anyone else that is dependent on us. So if you find the idea of self-care selfish and really hard to do, think about the people that would benefit from you being the best version of yourself. So if you had to invest in yourself, it doesn't just benefit you. It benefits those that mean the most to you in your life. That's beautiful. Yeah, guys, everyone go and get an oil change, basically, you know. <laughs> Even in our relationships, do you know, often we give so much at work and we bring home basically the leftovers. But if you're, you know, if your loved one, if your spouse, if your partner's the most important person, 
shouldn't they get the best of you? Not what is left after everybody's had that best of you. So we need to be mindful about that and also make time for relationships. Relationships have also taken strain during this time because there is greater stress. There's financial stress. There's a stress of uh, this huge change imposed on us, the stress of the uncertainty that we're facing, not knowing what the future is going to be like. So when we're not our best selves as well, there, there tends to be conflict in relationships. No, 100%. I think that's very important. As On top of that, you know, a lot of people have been locked in their, their tiny flats with their, their spouse, and that's obviously been stressful as, as well, you know? <laughs> yeah, as much as you can love your partner, none of us have been used to being cooped up with them, you know, 24-7. I think everything that that you've said there is so is so transferable, not just for the psychological professionals in the country, but just everybody. Like I think everybody that that listens to this can learn something from what you've said there. You know, I wanted to go on to to what students can do. You know, in terms of their burnout and their self care, and I think everything that you've said there it doesn't really need to be reiterated and, and reapplied to that. I think it's just it it will work for them. You know, you know. I think what I did want to say about the students is that. A lot of them are currently studying this year and this, this whole year is kind of like up in arms as to what's going to happen. They've, they've had to switch over to, to an online platform in terms of studying. You know, the, yeah. the universities are, are maybe taking a little bit more time to mark their assignments, those sort of things. It's, there's, there's a lot that's happening and I think there's a lot of anxiety for, for currently studying students. I think it's, it's a nerve-wracking time. And again, I think you have to make time for yourself. You have to sit down every now and then and, you know, put a song on that calms you down and then get back into your learning or whatever you have to do. I think it, it's, it's so important to do that right now. Interestingly, I've seen lots of students during this time. I think it's also been easier for students to access therapy services because of teletherapy. Mm. There's a lot of anxiety with students, you know, in school, especially at university, final year students, for example, you know, those waiting to apply for masters, wondering what. What is the new year going to bring? Uh, What changes are they going to be? Um, So I I think, you know, with students, I think the the important thing is to stop resisting and just accept that it is what it is right now. And that I, I know that we are not all in the same boat, but in terms of academics, I think all institutions and all students are facing the sort of challenge that they're uncertain about what lies ahead, What comes with the rest of this academic year? Are they going to complete the year? What happens with, you know, the applications for the new year as well? So I think what's important is to focus on what you can control. A lot of anxiety at this time comes from focusing on what's beyond our control. So remember that universities are also going to figure it out and they're probably trying to figure it out. And they're definitely going to take into account what is going on in this year. So I cannot see a student being disadvantaged because of the pandemic. Uh, You know, so bring your focus back to what you can control during this time. Focus on, again, being your best self, taking care of yourself. Uh, Stop resisting what you can't change. I know some have been resisting online classes because they they miss being, uh, being in class, especially those doing practical causes where, you know, you would have to do something practical and it's a lot harder to do by yourself and those who've been working in teams in the past. So bring yourself back to what is in my control. Uh, And when you focus on what you can control, you feel that you can find the way ahead. So stop fighting what you can't control. 
I think that's so important. So, so important. And and as you were saying it, it was like coming to terms for me, obviously, as as somebody that's applying for masters for next year, uh, you know, I'm waiting here for selections to happen. And it, it, there's been a lot of anxiety, like, you know, every time they postpone the school year, I'm like, is that going to reflect on the universities as well? Like, if I do get into a program, am I only going to start in, you know, July, August next year? How's this going to work? And that's out of my control. You know, I think once, once I am a psychologist, psychologist one day, like it'll be my job to, to help, you know, other people accept what's going on around them. And that, that's a big part of what I have to do. And that, and now gives me the opportunity to practice it within myself in a very tense time and really come to terms with the fact that I, I have no control of that and, and stressing about it and worrying about it is really doing me no good. And it's not getting the process any further. Yes. So, do you know, but give yourself time to feel what it feels like you know, it, you know, you've reminded me of, it's, it was many years back that, you know, I, I applied for master's and underwent master selections. But I can tell you, I mean, over 10 years later in practice, that that was probably the most stressful time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in my psychology history. <laughs> that, that applying for master's, uh, master selections, waiting to hear whether you've gotten in or not. It really is the most stressful time because once you get in, you know, it's, it's tough, but you you kind you know that Make you're it in work. it. Yeah. <laughs> so so I mean I can empathize with everyone who's in your boat right now. So so give yourself that time to feel it, to feel how much it sucks because it sure does suck. That's true. It's true. Um, and I think one of the things as well that that you bring to light as well, and you mentioned earlier, is that like the younger generations of people are quite comfortable with this whole online thing. And you know I think as selections potentially move online, I think uh, University of Pretoria announced today that their counselling psychology um, selections would be online. The students, the younger students. Students, they they know they've been playing on iPads since they were like you know ten years old. They they know these platforms, um, and I and think they can feel confident. It. Exactly. The people on the election panel are exactly. probably a lot more nervous about the technology. So so I can assure you, you you'll be okay. Exactly, and you get to do it from the comfort of your own home in your sweatpants yeah. and your slippers. So you know you really can use this to your benefit. Uh, I think a lot of us look really good on paper, and I think this is now a time for us to shine. You know, while we do feel comfort comfortable from our own homes, you know? Uh, I, I actually think that use it to your advantage and I think it will be okay. So enjoy the process. You know, you will look back in history and think about the time that you underwent selections during a global pandemic, you know, so you, you're part of history. Yeah, completely. No, one's, no one has trained us for this um, as students and no one's trained the professionals either. I just kind of wanted to say thank you for all of the different like tips and stuff you've given here because I think they're all so necessary and all need to be heard, you know, across the board from students to professionals. I think what you've said is, is so enlightening. Thank you so much, Dylan. Thank you. This has been my first podcast experience and I've absolutely enjoyed it. You've made it really comfortable and easy for me. So thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Well, yeah. Th thanks again for being on here and giving us your time. Um, I know that as a psychologist, you guys are busy at the moment. So so giving us a little bit of your time, I think that that should help expand your reach there of, of what you're doing. So thank you so much for, for everything that you've done, you know, not just for the podcast, but for psychology in general here. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Dylan. As mental health professionals, if your compassion doesn't include yourself, it is incomplete. Look after yourself for those around you. If you'd like to follow Rocky on social media, we'll post the links to her social media accounts in the description below. We'd like to thank you all for joining into the podcast today, and we look forward to talking to you in the next episode. In the meantime, stay safe, South Africa.